Greetings, everybody. This is Eric Johnson running into the fog again with my brother, Derek Johnson. And today, our special guest, Dr. Bill Mitchell, uh, is appearing on our 18th podcast capture that we're doing here on July the 29th of 2021. Uh, And uh, we're currently in the midst of the reopening of America uh, in a sort of post-pandemic kind of posture, maybe maybe not. And so uh, we're going to be talking with Bill today a little bit about his opinion on that and and sort of uh, estimates and forecasts and fun stuff about where the the business world is going from here. Uh, But Derek, how are you doing? I'll I'll pass it over to you and then uh, we'll welcome Bill. I'm I'm doing just great and really excited for our guests. Bill, thank you for uh, coming on the podcast today. My pleasure. Welcome, Bill. And you're coming to us from where are you right now physically? I am physically in El Paso, Texas, and El Paso. Uh, right, right here on the border. I can actually look out my window to my right and see the East Valley, and the I can see the mountains in Mexico from where I sit in Juarez, Mexico. Right on, excellent. Well, so glad to have you here, and I hope in this little conversation we can let our audience get to know you a little bit. Uh, figure out who you are and, and how you might be able to help them. Uh, I know you've uh, been very generous with your time and expertise uh, with the Joe Bros uh, over the last few years. Uh, we first got introduced, I think I reached out to you back in about 2018 mm-hmm. uh, when I saw your name associated with some stuff going on in Milwaukee, and that's right near where we're based. And I said, I should meet that guy. And then I had a chance to meet you up uh, in the Fox River Valley, you were one of the keynotes at the ConnectorCon event up there. We got to hang out a little bit, and that's when I propositioned you to uh, help to keynote a conference that we were doing, which was our Reconverge meeting. That was the 2019 meeting, which was the last one we did right. uh, before the pandemic hit uh, last year. So uh, again, your remarks really resonate, I think, with all of our attendees, and you were really a great way to kick that meeting off um, in a way that w- that's very memorable. Um, so thank you again for all your generosity and you've been an advisor and sounding board to both uh, both Derek and I over the last couple of years as we've been really pivoting, making a, a pivot here. Last year was our 25th year. We're going to our 26th year. And I, I actually think that largely because of some of your advice, I know what the next 25 years are going to look like. Uh, so Good Derek, any, yeah. I would just correct. I might just correct you real quickly. We we just had our 26th year, so we're we're working on wrapping up our 26th year and, and going to have our 27th uh, in February of next year. So, um, Bill, you told me something about a year ago right now uh, that has stuck with me, and that is, you know, as leaders, we have to find this and play this dichotomy of how much time we spend working uh, in the business that we operate in versus working on the business. And I, I can tell you that those remarks you gave me in our one-to-one, uh, about a year ago, you know, when we were right in the heart, uh, strike zone of the pandemic, sort of all this uncertainty uh, rolling up has, has led me in some new directions. Uh, maybe has given me a, a new sense of motivation to work on the business, uh, more than I previously did. And I just want to thank you for that. And I don't know if you have any comment uh, for the, the leaders out in the business world that are, might listen to this podcast. You know, how, how can they find better balance of how much time they spend working in the business versus on the business? Absolutely, Derek. And I appreciate that. Thank you both for your kind words. And I count you both to be friends and uh, mentors as well. I think iron sharpens iron. And I know I have been, I'm better and sharper because of the two of you. And I've got a lot of sharpening to do still, but certainly because of y'all. To your specific question, there's, and in the book, Four Disciplines of Execution, they talk about the whirlwind. And that's just all the busyness of running the business, all the things that it's everything from paying the bills to cleaning the toilets and everything in between, all the just stuff that happens to keep your business running. And what happens is oftentimes people in leadership within the organization, not just upper management, but senior management, senior leadership, the C-suite presidents, they get so caught up in that whirlwind, managing that whirlwind and working in the business, they forget to work on their business. And it's like anything else. If you put your head down and never look up and just start walking, who knows where you're going to wind up? If all you're doing is I do a lot of hiking and uh, I do some off trail hiking 
and like out here in the West, sometimes you encounter critters you shouldn't encounter. And uh, I get a new shoulder, hopefully sometime soon as a result of one of those encounters a while back. But uh, if you've just got your head down, just picking your next step, step after step, you're going to wind up lost. We're so far from your vehicle, you're, it's going to take too long to get back. You're not, you're not going to be where you want to be. Are you making progress? Oh, you're making progress. Are you staying busy? Oh, you're staying busy. Are you tired at the end of the day? Absolutely. But where are you going? And I know that sounds very elementary. How many businesses, though, do we see? People do we talk to, especially as an executive coach, been doing that a long time. And so many of them, without recognizing it, their business isn't where they want it to be. They're not where they want to be. And I ask them, well, what's your strategic plan to get there? What are you intentionally doing to get there? How much time do you spend working on the business? And unfortunately, it's not even the Pareto 80-20 where they're spending 20% of their time working on the business. And if most medium-sized, small to medium-sized business executives would be honest, they probably spend only 1% or less of their time actually working on the direction of the business. Where are we going? How much time are they spending every day, every week, every month thinking about it? So don't mean to be too verbose with that answer to kind of tee it up. But the bottom line is the effective executives at the most senior level are going to spend about 80% of their time working on the business and not in it. Um, And I find that for some smaller businesses, a good executive assistant can very candidly can help free you up uh, so that you're not spending near as much time working in the business as you have to. Everything from managing your own calendar uh, to answering phone calls, answering group email, all those kinds of things can be eliminated. I don't want to get into the minutia, but certainly, and in today's world, I know people, some people call it the new norm. I don't want to, I don't know how y'all phrase it, but whatever it is, I think it's more important than ever that we have people who have the ability to vision here. They have the ability to engineer a vision. We need people who can, are very capable at visioneering and looking down the road and engineering where they need to go as an organization, as a corporation, in order to remain relevant and competitive. Uh, in the coming days. And part of that is obviously being flexible with whatever is going to be thrown at us, regardless whether we like it or don't like it, the reality is what the reality is. And so when we don't have control of many things, we've got to make sure we have full control of the things we can. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I I know a sort of question. Sorry for the length of the answer. Yeah. And I don't know that I'm yet at uh, anywhere near 20%. You know, small business uh, tends to, to, I think in a lot of ways, probably uh, uh, swarm us a little bit as, as executive leaders more than if we were working in big enterprises. But uh, I can tell you that I've upped my percentage significantly working on the business. And it's truly inspirational from what you shared with me about a year ago. What do you think, Eric? What do you think about well, I was that? just going to react that, you know, this is a, a bit of a stoicism question. You know, the stoics uh, really weren't unemotional about everything. They just didn't freak out over things they couldn't control. And I think that's um, ultimately the message of stoicism is don't go crazy over all of this stuff that's ha- the whirlwind. Don't go crazy over the whirlwind. Whirlwind is going to happen whether you pay attention to it or notice or not. Um, to the extent that you can cope with the whirlwind's effects on your stakeholders, that's really what ultimately matters but really focus on the things you have dominion over. You know, you, you have dominion over choosing what you're about, who you are, why you are, why you've built the business the way you've built it. And I think that's, you know, what I took away from our conversations, recent conversations, Bill, was um, if I'm not focusing on those dominion factors and instead I'm worried about all these contingencies or other people's control factors that I have very little influence over, um, that's really not a service to my stakeholders, least of which is me. <laughs> you know, I'm a stakeholder in all of this. And it's not selfish to align your stakeholder interests with your own. It's actually just productive uh, to, to be that way. So that, you know, response for you a little bit on what you had to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think uh, a lot of people are 
very verklempt. Uh, they have a lot of angst about uh, how this whole getting back to normal thing is going to happen. And, you know, the word normal is very misleading because it suggests that there was homeostasis in the before times, you know, before COVID. Uh, and I would suggest that getting back to normal is actually the wrong set of objectives. There's so much productivity and peace and grace and harmony and prosperity, frankly, that can be created out of crises, but not when we are at loggerheads with one another. Like I think we find ourselves in America in particular today, uh, you've got such deep polarization between people that we've actually started to de dehumanize each other. We've begun to uh, otherize is the other social term that I've, I've seen used and applied to that. What do we have to do? And maybe you're going to announce your run for uh, president in 2024 as a result of this question, Bill. But what do we do about this, man? How are we going to fix this country and get people, instead of thinking about getting back to the old normal, which wasn't all that great, thinking ahead to what they can do to create something that is greater? And I don't know how philosophical or deep you want to get or how practical you want to keep it. Let me give you a kind of a philosophical perception uh, perspective. And one of the things I let me give you a disclaimer first, I should yep. say, uh, my opinion and a couple bucks will get you a cup of coffee. OK, so this is my opinion. And I just because somebody's really good in business or something doesn't mean that they've got answers to everything in life, you know. Just because somebody's a great answer doesn't a great actor or actress doesn't mean they have the solution to world economics or world, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm not being critical of anybody, but you know, we, we need to know what our areas of expertise are, I think, and fight within our weight class. And I, that would just that statement alone would help everybody if they would stick to what they know and do what they're good at. And uh, as a broad statement, I'm speaking specifically of myself to answer your question. So here's, a, let's go back before electricity in time. Uh, and we were an agrarian society. I'm speaking of the United States, of course, not globally, but even globally, it was much agrarian. Uh, we, life was very simple. It was very different. And basically what you were doing is you were living your life to live your life, right? I mean, everything was about, even my parents who grew up as, sharecroppers in Alabama, uh, you know, they didn't have electricity, they didn't have running water, um, they didn't have radio until they got electricity much later. I think my dad had already gone off to the war before they, you know, he heard radio on a regular basis. So you really had very little outside influence. You were just trying to live your life. And, and honestly, even what was happening in the town five miles away or 10 miles away probably didn't impact you that. Mm. You know, I, I remember my grandmother I asked her one time what it was like when the Great Depression hit and she said honey I didn't even know they kept talking about the crash the crash I thought they were talking about a train or something literally she she had no idea what she didn't know what the stock market was and they you know she was chopping cotton before the crash and she was chopping cotton after the crash she's completely uh, oblivious to it all now the reason I say that is if you and I were to turn off our social media turn off the television and the radio and the news and just do our jobs, we would find that as individuals, we're far less impacted by everything that's going on around us. Our lives would pretty well just continue on as normal until the people that are paying attention, that are in power, that do have controls over things like our taxes like uh, industry regulation, corporate regula regulation, trade, um, uh, all of those different things. I'm being careful what I call attention to here. Uh, yep. Until those people who have control and power start making major changes that impact us, we'd get along just fine. But if we wait until we feel those impacts, then it's too late. Right. Because now you're having to try to undo and redo and sometimes things just go too far. So without being uh, too more, I think that 
on a personal level, we need to do what I said. We need to just kind of hunker down, do our job, pay attention, do the best we can. On a moral level, do we have an obligation to, to try to stand up for what we believe in and try to help things be better? Absolutely, we do. Um, and we can't just ignore what is going on around us. I said that I can see the East, in the East Valley of El Paso and the mountains of Juarez. And um, right now we have a real crisis right here. Uh, less than a mile from my house is a retention center uh, that was built. And every time I drive by there, there are children out there playing, hundreds of children playing. It's the one that our, our vice president recently, recently visited. It's, I, my property butts up almost against government property. And that's where they put this on a border patrol thing. And uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of kids. And I have a son-in-law who works, and I won't get into the details, but he works helps with those kids and the, the situation they're in by the time they get here, what has happened to them just getting here and everything is, it's, it's so, so sad. I'm not saying I have the answers, but it's, we're creating right now. I'm not saying we're creating, there is a situation that has been, that exists that is going to be detrimental for years to come that we're not going to just undo. Uh, I have family that are teachers and just, what has happened with education, public education in the last year and three or four months where everything went remote, at least in our area, is you're not going to undo some of those things. You're going to have to outlive some of those things because you can't go in reverse. There's no back. There's no reverse in life. You know, you can't, you can't back up. So that's at a very, very high level. You've got a lot of thoughts on businesses, what they're doing, a lot of the companies that I work with, what they're doing to, to figure out how to go forward. I would like to make one more quick comment though. And that is that I believe that you and I and everybody else has got to realize uh, what I have today is normal. Mm. Yesterday was yesterday's normal. Tomorrow will be its own, but the, the, the moments that I'm living in, the 24-hour cylinder that I'm living in, whatever you want to call it, this is the way life is for me today. And for people who are longing for yesterday or hoping for a better tomorrow, uh, I would just suggest to them that you've got to just figure out this is what it is. We make the best of what it is. We learn from yesterday and we prepare for tomorrow, but we live in the moment. And I think it's important as businesses that we understand that more than ever. Uh, and those are... I, almost cliche-ish in the way they're spoken. But if we dive down into the depth of each one of those, you'd understand that all we've got is now. I got to do the best I can with what I've learned with today. And I've got to do the best I can with today with what I think may happen to tomorrow. And that's as simple as I can put it, you know. Well, just, uh, you know, thank you for that wisdom. I think there is um, one of the greatest things somebody ever told me was to be here now. Be here now. Uh, and that you may not have tomorrow. So don't worry about it. Um, and I think, you know, the, uh, I joke, I got a degree in political science from the UW-Madison and I only learned one thing. And that's that politics makes you dumber. Uh, and so I think what we see in America right now is this great political freakout that that is making people dumber. And the results of that are we're going to make a whole bunch of unforced errors that we're going to have to figure out how to cope with, not undo, as you pointed out, Bill. That's the wisdom. That's we're, not going to be, we're not going to be undoing these things. These, this is damage. This is permanent damage that we're going to have to cope with going forward rather than try and undo. So thank you for that. You bet. You bet. And, and I would just say that, you know, I'm not doom and gloom. I'm not being doom and gloom about it. I'm positive about it. I think... It was Winston Churchill said, you never want to miss out an opportunity to capitalize on a crisis or something like that. I don't have that quote right. I think it was Churchill's one who said it. But the truth is, this there are some things that are a crisis. And we've got things that are going on with the pandemic. I had COVID. I was very sick for six months. You know, I had friends that said, COVID's not real. It's not real. It's not a real thing. And I thought, okay, well, till you get it. <laughs> My daughter is a uh, ICU nurse in the COVID ward here. And uh I could tell you stories. It's very real every day in her world. And uh, it's, it is a very real thing. And, and so I think that in life, any situation, there's always the opposite extremes. There's the people who are way over here, say, call those the, the extreme conspiracy theorists who are way over here. And then there's the people way over on the other side where everything's all happy and peaches and cream and rosy and you know, flowers and sunshine. 
but somewhere in the middle is truth typically you know and it, and it doesn't mean to not necessarily in the middle of those two perceptions either perspectives but what i think is is relevant especially in a business world today and if i could talk maybe a little bit about where how the business impacts uh, our experience, what businesses are experiencing, how businesses are being impacted. One of the big things right now is, especially in some areas, even up in Wisconsin, where y'all are out with the variant uh, in Milwaukee County, there's a big rise taking place. Uh, and uh, one of the companies I'm associated with, they were getting ready to go back to a hybrid in office. And now literally in a meeting this morning, earlier this morning, they're saying, hey, we need to put the brakes on that. We're going to put the mask rule back into effect. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Um, you know, and so when in times of uncertainty, as we've already alluded to, the best thing we can do is stick to what we know. And I'm going to be just as, as elementary as I can in this. Um, most of us, what freaks us out, what upsets us, what worries us, what we stress over what bothers us is not what we know, but what we don't know. And we're, well, what ifs, the what ifs are life, uh, of life. And as business professionals, we can't make decisions based on the fear of the what ifs. Now, do we need to plan? Do we need to have <clears throat> contingency plans? Absolutely. I, I'm all for having contingency plans. But I think there's a few things that if we can, that we can do that will help us be better leaders during this time. And if I could run through those, would that be okay if I run through a couple of these yeah, things? Absolutely. And, um, number one, stay focused. Personally and professionally. Anytime we lose our focus, we even when we're driving an automobile, if we're texting and driving, we, we lose focus. And then in, in that split second, when we look down or we're distracted or trying to pick something up off the floorboard or whatever it is, that's when the accidents happen. Well, it's true in business too. And in a world that is ever evolving and changing at an exponential rate, we've got to stay focused and paying attention to what is going on. Look at what happened in the markets in the first week in China. You know, a lot of stuff going on over there that's going to have a reverberation effect into us. Eventually, we're going to feel some of that here. And there's still stuff happening. Even, you know, yesterday, uh, it happens more so over there. But So we've got to stay focused as, as leaders, stay focused on ourselves, but on our business. What are we doing? Are we still trying to be the best of breed? And paying attention to the three things that are the elements of business, they always have been, they don't change, time, cost, and quality. It's simple. I mean, uh, I, we could get real philosophical about some of these things, but at the end of the day, time, cost, and quality, that's, that's what it is. Fast, cheap, or good, pick two. Yeah, exactly. And because you can't be all three, probably. And uh, your, your competition promises they are and says you're not. And so that's exactly it. So when we look at that as leaders, we need to stay focused and then we need to keep our people focused. And keeping our people focused means refocusing them. We have to control the narrative. You know, in politics, it's all about who controls the narrative, right? right? And, and I'm not picking sides. I'm just making a statement. It is. It's, it, you know, it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. Whoever controls the narrative has the upper hand. Defines and it, reality. I would say that whoever controls the narrative defines reality. Yes. And, and, and I would suggest that for many people, uh, that reality, though subjective, uh, is how they live their life. It's how they make their decisions. It's how they make their choices uh, and all of those things. And so with, with that being said, I would suggest that we have to control the narrative for our organization. We've got to control the narrative in our business meetings. We need to control the narrative in our shareholder meetings. We need to control the narrative in our staff meetings or board meetings, whatever it is. We've got to be in control of the narrative because, as you said, that's people's reality. And they're going to, and our reality is the thing that determines what we do, how we do, and when we do, and for how long, right? It determines all our actions. So I would, you know, for the business leaders that might take time to listen in or watch, I would encourage you to think about what are you doing to control the narrative? But before you start trying to control the narrative, 
question that begs to be answered is what's the right narrative? And the narrative needs to be truth. Unequivocally, it needs to be truth. So the narrative I've got to control as a business leader is the truth. I want to make sure my people know what the truth is. They know what reality is. And some of it even might be like the old Stockdale paradox out of the old book, uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. If you'll remember, you know, you confront the battle, uh, the brutal facts, but you never lose hope is what Admiral Stockdale said to the people who survived uh, encampment in Vietnam, Vietnam. And so with you and I today, I think it's important we do the same thing. I think it's important that we confront the brutal facts. We don't put our head in the sand. We don't try to make things better than what they are, nor do we need to make things worse than what they are, but we can never lose hope. And as leaders, not only do we control the narrative, but we have to be constant purveyors of hope. So if as a business leader, I would ask you, what is the narrative that your people need to have? What's the reality they need to see in order to accomplish and achieve what needs to be accomplished. And I'm going to stop right there. I've got more thoughts, but I just sure like to hear y'all's thoughts. I'll shut up and listen for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I would just say, as you've been talking, Bill, it seems like I'm a mindset guy. And I've said that before on this podcast, and I have a little image over my shoulder here for those that might take in, um, you know, the, the video elements of this podcast. And it's a, it's Kobe Bryant's, mantra, the Mamba mentality about, uh, you know, we're, we're all in a constant quest to be the best version of ourselves. And, you know, I think that that speaks to some of the, I wrote down four, but I, you you mentioned having five and I probably combined one, um, you know, two into one here somewhere along your description just now, but you know, the hope element I think is tremendously powerful, you know, from the standpoint of if we don't have hope, um, it's hard to reverse bad things that may happen to us. You know, you might get COVID and be sort of uh, down for the count for six months and you, you seem to have made a, a pretty good uh, recovery from what I can tell. I'm going to guess there might be some lingering effects like a lot of people deal with. And I'm sure your, your daughter or daughter-in-law, was it? That, uh, daughter, yeah. daughter. You know, obviously the the pandemic has done some terrible, horrific things to this world. But I think what you're speaking to, at least my interpretation of it is, you know, you're, you're, you're saying as business leaders or even as individuals, having some, some uh, bright spots of hope that we can all kind of point to and, and living, um, building our narrative organizationally as well as personally, you know, to uh, allow that sense of hope to come out and then working, doing what we can control in order to, to drive toward that narrative of hope feels like a pretty inspirational way to think about it. Am I, am I reading that correctly from the way you're trying to send that message? No, you're right on. I, I, you know, my parents were the World War II generation. And I learned a lot from them. And if you've ever, if I, I know in today's world, a lot of the younger folks hadn't had a chance to be around that World War II generation, but those people, they went through things. I, was, I mentioned a victory garden the other day to someone and they had no clue what that was. And, you know, they don't understand that, you know, people were asked to save their bacon grease and their cooking fat so that it could be used in the war effort. And people were asked to raise a garden if they lived in New York City in a window box, you know, just to grow whatever they could. The world was at war. It was a desperate place. It was a difficult time. But yet here we are today. We survived. You know, I'll always tell people, what's think of the worst thing you've ever been through. Congratulations. You got through it. You're here today. You survived, you know, no matter how bad or traumatic it was. And, and as a psychologist, a counselor, therapist, I would tell people that all the time because they'd be so overwhelmed with what they were feeling they couldn't see the bright spots and i'm i believe i believe that we have to do all that we can to be purveyors of hope to stay focused realize there's good find the good and in in these times the companies that are doing the best are the ones who have not thrown their hands up and and basically said the world is coming to an end they have retooled literally some of them have retooled two or three times uh, some of them have uh, refocused. They've changed their marketing approach. They've changed what they sell. They've changed what they make. 
they've been flexible. And as long as you've got hope, hope is the that that thing that optimism is say, hey, it's gonna be everything's gonna be all right. You know, it's whatever it is, it came to pass, you're gonna be all right. Take a deep breath, it's gonna be okay. And as leaders, we've got to do that, but we can't just say that, we've got to give proof. This is why it's gonna be okay. This is why there's hope. We're figuring it out. Do we have it all figured out? No, but we're figuring it out. We're, we're making the best choices that we can. And that's why, and I don't want to get too far down the road on this, but with when it comes to having a good strategy, you want to have a strategy that is going to be able to endure and change and flex. So it's, you know, every battle plan goes awry as soon as you meet the enemy or whatever the type of the statement is. You know that one, Eric. I think you can quote that. But uh, so you've got to have a strategy. I and mean, part of your strategy needs to be able to adapt and adjust and change. But we, we can never lose hope just because things are bad. And, and even if the business you're in right now is not going to make it, that doesn't mean you should lose hope. Life's not over. <laughs> it's just a business. I failed at a lot of things. As most people who finally get it, we do. So yeah, I, I, I think that, and I didn't mean to go off on the whole piece, but I do believe, yeah, we've got to be purveyors of hope and we can't just be doom and gloom. And, you know, some people, uh, if you don't know how to balance it, turn the news off. Right. Not everybody has the ability to consume it. I, and I've been a advocate long before any of this happened for years in counseling people. But one of the best things some people do is just turn the news off. Don't watch it. Because if you can't balance it, if it's affecting your outcome and your outlook and your attitude, then right now, I'm not saying always or never, but right now is not the time, yeah. you know, in my perception. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Well, I was just going to add that, you know, I love that. <clears throat> That's Patton, by the way. Patton said that uh, no plan survives engagement with the enemy. Uh, and in fact, my favorite Churchill saying, you invoked Churchill a little while ago, was if you're going through hell, keep going. Uh, don't stop. Uh, don't stop and accept it. And I think, you know, to your point about failure, um, if you haven't failed, you haven't been trying very hard. Uh, you haven't taken the kind of risks that you're going to need to take in order to create the prosperity that you and your family are aspiring to and, and the people that, you know, have been put in place around you, you know, that you have been given to in many ways. Uh, and so I think, you know, real words of wisdom there again, um, the media, uh, has a very specific mission in our world, and that is to create fear of the other side. And so one of my habits, media habits, by the way, is to consume uh, ideas I disagree with, uh, to see not only if they'll challenge my assumptions, but to understand and empathize with people who I disagree with, because you know what? I'm not so smart. I don't have all the answers, and um, I don't really my ego can survive uh, a, a you know challenge that causes me to rethink and change my mind. And I think that's the real sort of issue is there is a lack of humility on the part of uh, so many people. And I will also just say, and I'd love your thoughts on this, the best business leaders I've seen, uh, you're in this group, by the way, so this is a compliment, have a sense of humility and knowing, and they know that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less and understanding that others have needs that have been made plain to you that you can help to fulfill. And whether that's as an advisor to a CEO, which is something you're really good at and you do every day, you know, or how you raise your, your family, uh, how you teach your family to live, you know, honorable, meaningful lives. Uh, as opposed to assuming that, you know, they're going to, they don't have to take those kinds of risks and, and risk failure and, you know, put all things on the line. Anyway, I, I just want to say you, you fall into that group, uh, Bill, that I think have that sense of um, thinking of yourself less in order so that you can figure out, you know, where your best and highest service uh, might be called. Well, you're, you're kind. And to the comments you started out with making, you know, the old expression is my mind's made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. Yeah. And I, I, th I think that the challenge, one of the challenges that we're facing, if you look at the, the reality and the data of what's happening in our world today, is there's, we're so inundated with information. It's impossible for the average person to consume all of the information that's there. So, for instance, it's impossible for people who are more to the left to spend all uh, 
a lot of time watching all the information on the right and it's impossible for the people who are on the right to spend uh, enough time watching or reading or understanding where the left is coming from. And so what happens is we stay in our own area and we, we listen to the people that we agree with. And you know, I won't get into all that. That's proven over and over again, both sociologically and ideally. And so because of that, I think what happens is people begin to go down a particular path and they get their mind made up that reality is a certain way because of the narrative that they're listening to and all of their decisions, all of their choices, everything they do is based upon that particular narrative or that what they see as reality. And when, from a business perspective, one of the things that's important for me to do with CEOs, and I ask them all the time, where are you getting your information from? Mm-hmm. Where, where are you getting your information? Where'd you get that? And how'd you learn that? Who told you that? And, and the statement I heard or I read is not an answer. Who'd you hear it from? Who wrote it? What statistic? What was the methodology of the study? I, I want to know because if I'm going to make impacting lifelong choices and decisions, think about that, that are going to impact where my business goes and potentially how I'm able to care for the people that work for me or work in my business or care for my own family, then I need to make sure that I'm making decisions based upon good data. The old expression, data should tell a story and result in an action is true, but it's not just true in improving manufacturing. It's not just true in uh, sales and lead generation. It's true in everything that we do and the information that we gather, that's our data, our data. That's, and then we're going to, it's telling us a story and then it results in some kind of an action or a decision. And just like if you get bad data, you're going to get bad, a bad story. And then you're going to wind up doing the wrong things. Well, it's true for us as leaders. So who are we listening to? Uh, do we understand it? And, and the other thing I would just throw out there for this is I talked about earlier fighting within your weight class. Hmm. My dad used to get so upset. Of course, now he was an old man. He'd been gone since 03. Uh, But he used to get so upset when they would get some Hollywood actor, his words, not mine, and get him on TV and ask their opinion about politics or world affairs or something like that. And, you know, he would say, what does that person know about that? What makes them an expert? Because they they can act and remember lines, you know, or pretend. That's what he would say, because they can pretend. <laughs> That's what he called actors. Uh, pretender. That makes them an expert suddenly in something. Well, it's what I'm finding is there are people who are supposed to be experts or authorities in areas. But we're only as good as the information we have. And so from a business standpoint, I would challenge everybody, especially in today's world with so much information out there, make sure that you're getting the right information and that you're paying attention to the story that data is telling you. And you're designing your strategy based upon that, the true narrative that the data is telling you, you know, because if the data is real and it's true, it doesn't lie. You know, the numbers are the numbers, you know. Right. I think the, uh, for me, what I take from that, uh, Bill and Eric, tell me what you think of this. You know, we, we get the question all the time. You know, we, we talk internally a lot about worthy and unworthy rivals and, you know, that whole concept of fighting within our weight class. Well, it's not so bad when you um, go up a weight class or two. You know, even if you don't think you've got the chops to battle in this upper weight class, you know, go, go get it, get after it, give it a shot, see how it works out for you. Uh, yeah. Because you're never going to get better unless you stretch yourself and push your limits. And we've talked about pushing limits, limit testing on this podcast before. We've talked about some other uh, kind of core principles. But you know, I, I wrote down something when you said, uh, you know, check your source of source validation and what what narrative is that source that's telling you? You know, I read or I heard. Uh, well, what narrative is that source trying to control? kind of takes you back to that narrative concept. And, you know, is it something, is that narrative going to be good for your business strategy or not? And if, if you're profiling, you know, your competition and they ought to be categorized into an unworthy rival sort of uh, classification rather than a, a truly aspirational or worthy rival sort of situation, you know, 
maybe it's best to take a good hard look at, you know, what, what weight class am I seeking to fight in? Yeah. I don't know if you have any thought on that, Eric. Bill. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I'm, and I do think we've got to be challenged when I say, you know, people try to fight above their weight. I'm, uh, if I'm going to fight above my weight, I better be prepared. And I'm for that. I'm for stretching and growing. I don't think we should ever be satisfied. I believe in being a lifelong learner. Um, I don't want to be the same person tomorrow that I am today. I want to be better. I want to be smarter. I want to be kinder, gentler, all, all those things, the, all the above. And so absolutely we've, we do need to be growing and we need to, to your statement or point about the narrative. It is so important. We, we understand where we need to go. And if we're listening to somebody that's controlling their own narrative or writing their own narrative, uh, then of course, you know, they're, they're going to make it sound like we need whatever it is they're selling, so to speak. We've, and that's why we need to be able to step back. And in today's world where there is so much information out there, there's also a lot of misinformation. And being able to disseminate or disaggregate, and then you know, it's not just about aggregating information. It's being able to discern quite candidly what is right and what is true. And as a business leader, I've got to look at a company. And right now, I'm a chief strategy officer for a financial technology company. And it is a the fintech world is something that is changing every single day, and largely uh, even faster because of COVID. So think about the payments industry, how people pay for stuff and how they were paying for it before COVID. And then all of a sudden, now you can't see people, you can't walk in and hand them a check. Yeah. Uh, all of those things, the whole world is, is changing and it's changing every single day. New, new payment methods are coming, all kinds of stuff. We won't get into it. But with that, in a rapidly changing industry, there's still people trying to control their narrative. You know, some of the people who've been in the business a long time, they're trying to say, oh, well, it's going to go go back to normal. You know, we're going to see a shift back or this particular payment type will never go away. Or this particular payment type is super secure. It'll always be there. Or, uh, you know, it, I won't get into Bitcoin or that kind of currency, but that's a whole nother conversation in this new world that I've fallen into in trying to figure out. And if you listen to some people, this crypto is that's the wave of the future. That's the way it's going to be. And, you know, of course, if you bought uh, 10 years ago and you held on to your Bitcoin, it did. I mean, now you're a multimillionaire if you bought you're very much. Exactly. You know, nothing wrong with that. And, but the reality is nobody's got a crystal ball. And so we, my dad used to always say, we've got to do the best we can with what we know at the time. Now we need to make sure we know everything we can. And so as business leaders, we've got to be looking at the, the right source, the right information, and not just the easy information, not just the convenient information. I had a conversation with someone this morning. I said, well, how did we come up with that decision to do that? Well, we talked to some people. Okay, I, I'm, I love to talk to people. You know, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. I believe that. But what did they tell us? How did we verify what they said was accurate? Look, there's things, if you'd talk to me about 20 or 30 years ago and took my advice, you'd be wanting to hunt me down today because I didn't know what I was talking about. I was wrong, okay? So we've got to make sure that we're getting the right information from the right resources. I, I, I don't want to keep hammering away on that, but when I'm talking to executives, when I'm coaching executives, they're making decisions. They keep going to the same place for their uh, information, for their data, and they make decisions based on that data and then things don't turn out like they thought. And so I'll question, where are you getting your data from? Are you even looking at the right data? Maybe the data is accurate, but it's the wrong measurement you're paying attention to. And so from a more of a technical strategic standpoint, I think it's vital that we be aware of that. Well, Bill, this is really, I can't believe that we're almost out of time here. I can't, oh, I don't know where the time went, Sorry. but uh, I, I'm going to kind of throw out a closing thought uh, and maybe we can kind of wrap around that. Um, but what you've described, I think, uh, is I'm using a term more often today uh, than I ever, ever have before. And that's the term stakeholder. And the way I describe a stakeholder is someone who has an interest in the outcome of a question or risk or choice that you're about to make for the group. Um, they're a state. My, my children are a stakeholder 
and whether I successfully quit on time today and feed them dinner while, while their mother's away from absolutely. Uh, and it seems they tend to feed themselves uh, when Tina's out of town. But you know, they they everything always works out, and we you know say our prayers at night, and they all go to bed, and nobody's bleeding. Uh, but stakeholders have an interest in your choices and that your choices on their behalf are going to turn out in a particular way. Now, something that has emerged a word, uh, it's a very, I'll say it's a uh, contentious word, but I think it's actually a super positive word. And that's the word equity. The word equity, equality of outcome is how it's been misdefined lately, is I think you'll agree uh, going to be the basis for some of our structural choice making and the systems and the structures that we put in place as a society uh, going forward will be focused on equity. And I'd like to propose that we redefine the word equity as sharing a stake in the choices that are being made for us as part of a group and that we earn that equity through our investment in the group. And by the way, we're uh, we're building a business around this known as stakeholder reconnaissance communities that we don't have time to tell you about right now, Bill, but I want your advice on uh, and uh, an input on. But talk to me a little bit about that. Business leaders represent the interests of their stakeholders. Now, obviously, in corporations, that's often narrowed to shareholders, but you know, it's so much more than that. It's the, you know, you, you run it. You've run a business in El Paso, right? It's the whole town are your stakeholders. The people that you know rely on them for their income, the tax base—it's—it's it's so much bigger than that. And I guess maybe I'll throw that out there and just let you respond to that, Bill. And maybe that's our second podcast conversation as we come in on that point. Um. Well, and here again, my opinion. I—I uh, I think we, as a society here in the United States, have an issue, a societal issue, and that is where we focus on rights without responsibility. Mm. You know, the, the World War II generation that I referred to earlier, they understood that rights and duty were intertwined. They went hand in hand. Uh, the rights, the freedoms we have, they, everything comes at a price, everything. You may not be the one paying, but somebody's going to pay for whatever it is in life. And, and, and so with that as a little bit of a backdrop, um, I do believe that there should be uh, that people do have a responsibility that goes beyond their shareholders. I believe that it goes beyond their employees. It goes beyond their customers and their vendors. I, I believe in if I could get a little philosophical for just a moment, I believe we have a moral responsibility to our fellow man for mankind uh, to, to try to do what's right for uh, the next generation. There is no doubt we would not be the nation we are if it wasn't for the greatest generation that left the farms and had, you know, my dad had, I don't think ever been out of his county. And next thing you know, he's in Germany or wherever in Europe, you know, the European. And, and if it wasn't for those people who were willing to do that. And so I think there's a greater, higher responsibility and certainly I do believe there needs to be equity and we need to find and honestly there's an old statement you don't pay you don't say mm -hmm. and I'm not saying I'm not talking about money necessarily but you know people are quick to have an opinion without being willing to be a contributor it doesn't cost them anything right right, right. and you know my wife when the kids were being raised she would used to she used to say you know we want to raise contributors not consumers right and so I, I agree, I think there needs to be, and if I'm understanding correctly, I believe we need to understand that we do have impact. We do have, everything we do, do has an influence on other people, probably far more reaching than we can ever, the ripple effect than we could ever imagine. So with that comes some responsibility and with rights come responsibility and with duty. And I believe that if you're going to want to have a voice then you have to earn the right. We have the freedom of speech, but just because you're talking doesn't mean I have to listen to you. Yeah. Or agree with you. And, and so it, I learned very early on that just because people were listening to me didn't mean I'd earned the right to speak into their lives about things. Mm -hmm. 
to tell them how to do things and what to do. And I know I went probably too deep for what you're wanting, but I do believe, I agree with you. I believe there's got to be a level of, and I think equity is a good thing. You know, sweat equity. We talk about equity, sweat equity. I've got a lot of sweat effort and work in this business. It got here because of me, and I know we're up against a hard stop. I won't belabor the point, but uh, I, I would agree and concur. And I think that in our world where we have focused more on rights than the responsibility, and we focused more on freedoms and privileges that people feel they are due than the price of those freedoms and those privileges is one of the things that's costing businesses even today in a major way. And I, I'm not speaking of any particular political, I'm not smart enough to be political, I'm speaking very broadly. I'm talking about my own children, my own millennials, okay? Uh, and it's, it is what it is, but I think we've got to get back to that. We've got to realize, Everything comes at a price. That's my thought. Well, let me respond quick and then Derek, you get the last word and then we're done. Um, liberty demands loyalty. Uh, and I'll invoke another Churchillism here. I love that the greatest generation, we've been talking about the great, uh, World War II a little, little bit here and the time since. Churchill said that this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end but it's the end of the beginning. And Bill, uh, I'm just so grateful for this time together, our conversation, your openness and candor and friendship and, uh, and wisdom. Uh, Derek, take us home. And then we want to have Bill back again to keep this conversation going and see what the, see what the end really looks like. Without a doubt, uh, we'll have you back again. I, I, several things you said today, Bill, have been meaningful to me, memorable. You know, you, you said this, what I have today is normal. And you know, we all have to, uh, I think, look uh, inwardly at ourselves and, and kind of take that saying to heart. At least I, I suggest that our listeners take it to heart. And I, I know that I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. Um, let's do another podcast, Running Into the Fog Together. These are fun. I, I, have, I have one final question for you, and you can tell me you're not going to answer it, but I, I can't not ask it. A while back in this podcast, you alluded to encountering a critter on a hike and it causing you a, a left shoulder, you pointed to your left shoulder. And I'm curious what that critter was, because I, I know how big of a man you are. And I'm, I've, I've been thinking about that since you said it. I'm wondering what kind of critter caused you a left shoulder problem. It was actually a very small one, but a very deadly was rattlesnake. Uh -huh. I was off trailing and we in the desert out here. If you've ever been to Phoenix or Las Vegas, that's what the terrain here is very similar to. And I was hopping over this little ditch, an arroyo, a little arroyo. I was training for a backpacking trip, had a full pack on. And uh, as I went to step over it, this rattlesnake come up. And I stepped back and lost my footing and dislocated, popped his shoulder out, completely tore everything loose. And so wow. pain's there now. So Yeah. I'm yeah, glad you asked, though, Derek. I was wondering that, too. What is that yeah. down Bill Mitchell? <laughs> <laughs> And you know what's, I, I know we don't have time for this, but what's funny is immediately the pain became so great that I forgot about the snake, you know, and uh, it's amazing how there's a, another story for another day in that one. But anyway, thank you so much for your right time. On. My pleasure. Thank you for your friendship as well, Jim. Yeah, and thanks everybody for listening to this edition of Running Into the Fog with Eric and Bill. Thank you very much for being with us. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. See you next time.